Hey, welcome. This is week four on our series, Without Measure. We are studying the role of the Holy Spirit in the book of John this summer. And we are just trying to get a firmer grip on our understanding of the Holy Spirit and, of course, just growing in our relationship with Him, hearing His voice, being transformed by His power, becoming new in Christ. And so uh, today is uh, we see the Holy Spirit is going to be in the middle of a very long narrative uh, and Jesus is having a conversation with a lady that He finds at a well. This is uh, the woman at the well, very famous, John chapter 4. But there's so much about the Holy Spirit in there and uh, just Jesus, and, and, and it's amazing. So we're just going to hop in. John chapter 4. I'm going to read a good chunk of Scripture here. So just listen with me, follow along. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisee that had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, give me a drink. And, oh, I'm sorry. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus answered to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty again or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right. I have no, when you say, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, this is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am he who is speaking to you. We're going to talk about where Jesus uh, talks about the Holy Spirit and how we worship in spirit and truth. But before we get to that part, I just I want to draw attention to the fact that what Jesus does here is so unexpected. And it, it brought me back a little bit when I was studying for this message just about how Jesus is really the unexpected Jesus. And you're not going to be able to tame him. You're not going to be able to put him in a box. Jesus does what he wants when he wants. And this story so uh, illustrates that. Now, in our church, we have several great teachers and administrators. And um, what I'm about to say, I think many of them can identify with. I remember as a kid, whenever I was in school, and I would be out in somewhere other than school. Okay, and I would run into a teacher, maybe at the grocery store, Walmart, or at the ball fields. And I always remember being so shocked when I would see them uh, in, in somewhere other than school. I'd be like, Mrs. Welch, what are, you, what are you doing here? Why are you at Walmart, Mrs. Welch? Why are you wearing normal clothes? I, I thought you only lived at school. I never thought you left there. I thought you only owned cardigan sweaters. I mean, you're here in shorts or you're in jeans and not in Doc Martens. And my little brain could not fathom that this teacher had an existence outside of the context that I'm used to seeing them in. I couldn't fathom that they didn't live at Tombris Avenue, McBrien School, go Mustangs. Like all I had ever known was them in that context. And so seeing them outside of that context is unexpected. And that's what I see about Jesus here. That's the word I've been hearing in my heart and my spirit as I've been studying this. Unexpected. Jesus is unexpected. He does the unexpected. He operates outside of the context I think he should operate. He's not predictable. It's, it's like in the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis portrays Jesus as a lion. And, and there's a phrase in there where it says, oh, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, meaning he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he answers to no man. And in this story, every person who finds Jesus is surprised and shocked. The lady is shocked. The woman is like, whoa, whoa, why are you talking to me? The, the disciples, when they come up on Jesus and they find him talking to this woman, they're shocked. Jesus is behaving in a way that is un expected. So Jesus and his disciples, what had happened is they left the region of Judea. They are headed to Galilee, but in order to get where they needed to go, they had to go through Samaria. The disciples have gone off to buy some food in the city. Jesus is worn out on his journey, and he stops at a well to get a drink of water. And there he meets a woman, and he has a conversation with her that forever changes the lives of not just her, but everybody of the town where she lives. And the disciples are just shocked. Jesus is doing something unexpected. If they had known who the woman was, they, they would have been even more shocked because by all cultural standards, Jesus should not be talking to this woman. Okay, she's the wrong race. 
She's the wrong religion. She's the wrong gender. She has a tainted past. Let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, this is shocking. This is unexpected because this woman's the wrong race. She's a Samaritan, okay? The roots of animosity between Samaritans and Jews go deep into history. In the 8th century BC, when the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians, the majority of the population are carried off into exile. To repopulate the area, Assyrians brought in people from other parts of the empire, and these people intermarried with those still left in the land, and it resulted in a mixed race of peoples, later known as Samaritans. So Jews, true Jewish people, considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. They're unclean. Jesus is talking to the wrong race. He's also talking to someone of the wrong religion. Okay, in the 6th century B.C., the southern kingdom of Judah is overrun by the Babylonians. Many of its people are taken into exile into Babylon. Later, the Babylonian kingdom falls to the Persians, and Cyrus, king of Persia, allows exiles from Judah to return to Jerusalem, where they begin to rebuild the temple and later rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But those returning to rebuild were now called Jews. The Samaritans offered to assist them in rebuilding the temple, but their offer was rejected. Having been rebuffed, the Samaritans built their own rival temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. The combination of these events fueled religious and theological animosities. And then by the first century, the Samaritans had developed their own religious heritage based on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but they did not believe in the rest of the books. And so they continue to worship, not in Jerusalem, but their own temple they've built on Mount Gerizim. So they only, they're, they're half-breeds by the Jews. They're worshiping at the wrong place. They're not worshiping at the Jerusalem temple. They're worshiping at their own temple. And then this, per, this lady's the wrong gender, okay? We've all heard by now culturally how women are treated in Jesus' day, right? They're not valued. They're not honored as equal status before men, some, though by no means all Jewish people, thought uh, that for a rabbi to talk much with a woman, even his own wife, was at best a waste of time and a diversion from the study of Torah and therefore a potentially a great evil. So not only is she a woman, but she's a Samaritan woman, okay? There's a long-standing popular sentiment to the effect that all the daughters of Samaritans are perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanness. You're not supposed to be around or to touch an unclean person because that would make you unclean. <laughs> He's the wrong race, wrong religion, wrong gender. And to top it all off, this lady has a past, okay? She's, she's got a pretty checkered past. And this may not be due to her own fault that she's been married five different times. You know, husbands could turn away their wives and divorce for hardly nothing. But she hadn't only just been married five times, but now the one she's living with, sleeping with, she's not even married to him. So the fact that she comes to this well, if you remember, it says she comes at noontime in the heat of the day. And what you need to know culturally is that women would often be the ones to go and fetch water for the household. It's a normal chore. But they would come at two times a day, at the beginning of the day, early in the morning when it's cool, and at the end of the day, in the evening when it's cool. But here is this woman alone at high noon 
in the heat of the day at this well. Why is she there by herself? She's there by herself because nobody wants to be around her. Yeah, I don't want to get around that woman. She might take your husband next. You know what I mean? I mean, she is unclean. She has a past. So here's Jesus. This is so unexpected. The lady's surprised. Why are you talking to me? The disciples are surprised. She's a half-breed. She's unclean. She's powerless. She's a woman. Yet here is Jesus talking to this woman, and not only talking to this woman, offering her a gift that she really hasn't offered to anyone else, that, that Jesus hasn't offered to anyone else in the text up in this point. He's offering her living water to put the Holy Spirit within her. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's, it's been baffling my mind because just like I am used, I wasn't used to seeing my teachers in certain contexts. I think we get used to seeing Jesus in certain contexts. And we think Jesus can only show up in certain places. And he only meets with certain people. And then the rest of everybody else, well, they're just like this Samaritan woman. But Jesus is the God that is unexpected. He shows up in unexpected places. He talks to unsuspecting people. And we don't even have a category for it. We're so used to thinking about seeing Jesus in safe and sanitary places. We think we're going to see Jesus in beautiful, solemn, and holy cathedrals. Or maybe we're going to see Jesus at revival services where the music is thumping and the preacher is preaching and he's on fire. We're used to seeing Jesus there. But what if Jesus is not just in those places? What if Jesus is showing up during Ramadan in a mosque and he's giving visions to Muslims that he's the way, the truth, and the life? Because that's happening. Testimony after testimony, that's happening. What if Jesus is showing up in a pub in Sydney, Australia, in the gay quarters, and he reveals himself to an atheist gay activist? Because that's what happened to David Bennett. What if Jesus is showing up on college campuses and, and visiting a generation of anxious young people who are looking for peace? Because that's happening what if Jesus is showing up to people who are practicing New Age spiritualism and they're looking to encounter the divine and the transcendent because that's what happened to Stephen Banscar. Jesus is showing up where he wants, when he wants, to whomever he wants. He is the unexpected God, and I'm asking God to break me out of my context, break me out of my box, because if I think he can only show up on Sunday mornings at the Crossing Church when the music is just right and the sound is just right, then the rest of the world is in trouble. God, please help me. Give me hope that you can show up in the most unexpected places to the most unsuspecting people, and you can offer them the water of life that will never run dry. Let it, let, it, let it fill you with hope today. Maybe you've got family members who are far from God in bad places doing bad things. Don't count it out that Jesus won't show up there. Don't count it out that Jesus won't show up and talk to the people that you and I quit talking to a long time ago. Jesus is the unexpected God and he does shocking things. And he shows up to this woman 
And he has this conversation with her. And he leads her to himself. And the Holy Spirit is so key in all of this conversation. Everything that Jesus is saying, the offer of living water, putting a well within you. What is that? What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. He's offering this lady to have the Holy Spirit put inside of her. She's been looking out in there for so many other things to satisfy her. He says, woman, I got something. If you only knew, oh, what I got. I can put something within you that will never run dry. You can quit looking at it in all those other places and all those other men. I've got something for you to quench and satisfy your soul. I want to spend the rest of the day looking at that scripture where Jesus is talking about worship. And he says, he says God is spirit, right? And he is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's talk about that for a moment. First, he says God is spirit. When we say God is spirit, are we talking about the stuff or the material that he is made up of, right? Because this is how we think in our minds. In a physical world, we know that we personally were made up of matter. Everything we see is made up of atoms and particles and neutrons and protons. And I'm not really good at science, so I can't really explain all that means. But we're made up of a physical substance. So when Jesus says that God is spirit... I'm not sure that Jesus is really giving us a science lesson, okay? I don't think he's having a philosophical moment with this lady at this well, okay? This lady doesn't need a philosophical moment. That's, I don't think Jesus is trying to tell us or to tell this woman about the material substance or essence of who God is. I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around it anyways, right? We only know this physical world. We only have context for physical things. Everything we see is created by God. So that must mean God can't be made up of the stuff we see. His substance is something else. That's why we just have metaphors to describe him many times, right? God's like a fire or the Holy Spirit's like a wind or like a river or living Water. So what is Jesus saying when he says God is spirit? I agree with uh, Dr. Gary Burge. He says this, when Jesus says God is spirit, what he is giving is a description of his dynamic attributes in relationship to human beings. To say that God is spirit is to say that a relationship with him must be a spiritual relationship. What does that mean? In other words, God is different from me. God's totally other from me. And if I want to have a relationship with him, if I want to communicate with God, I'm not able to do it with the equipment I currently have. I need a way to connect. And I'm only able to connect with God through the medium of the Holy Spirit. The problem is I can't supply myself with the Holy Spirit. I don't have the connection. Okay, I, I was trying to think about the best way to explain it. And I got to thinking about our cell phones. Okay, in our phones, we have what is known as a SIM card. A mobile SIM card is what allows you to make phone calls and to send text messages. It's what allows for connection. Now, my phone can do some things. Without the SIM card, I can use the apps, I can take pictures, I can write notes, I can use the calculator. There are some functions that I can do without the SIM card. But unless I have the SIM card, here's what I can't do. I cannot communicate 
with other people. It's the SIM card that allows for the communication. Because God is something other than us, in order for us to connect with him, in order for us to have communion with him, in order for us to know him, and in, in this context, in order for us to even worship him, we need something. We need the Spirit. The Spirit is the SIM card that connects us with God. This is why Jesus is so, so important. This is why uh, believers say that Jesus is the only way to God. How can you say Jesus is the only way to God? Because in the gospel, who is the one who has the Spirit? Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the Spirit without measure. And he's the one who gives the Spirit without measure. What does he tell this woman? I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to put a well of living water within you so that you can truly worship and know God. Jesus is the one with the spirit. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thus, what does Jesus do? Why is he giving us the spirit? Because he's supplying us with the power that will enable us to truly worship and know God. This is why there cannot be any other way. Because Jesus is the only one who brings the connection that we need to the Father. So, listen, there are other people, there are New Age, and we'll talk about that in a minute. There are other things, other gods that people are connecting with. But, and, and, and people say, well, it's, we, some go through uh, Hinduism and some go through Buddhism, but we're all worshiping the same God. And that just can't be true. If you're worshiping someone other than Jesus, it's not leading you to the one true God, creator of heaven and earth. I'm telling you, you may be connecting with an entity, but it's another entity, some other spirit. And it's not a benevolent spirit. It's not El Elyon, God the Most High. It's not the God who is love, the God who is life, and the God who is light. Because it is Jesus, the only one in him, is where we get the spirit. He is the one who tells this woman, I can put inside of you the Holy Spirit, the thing that will enable you to truly connect and worship God. This woman, they talk, if you go back and you look back and forth at, at the uh, conversation between Jesus and this woman, they have a very lengthy conversation about worship. It goes back and forth uh, about where you should worship. Who, you know, our people say this about worship. Your people say this. A lot of questions about worship. And Jesus just kind of sh shuts it down. And she's like, look, look, look. He's like, look, look. Let me tell you something. To truly worship God, there's only one way to do it. God is spirit, and you need the Holy Spirit if you're going to connect with him and to worship him. And in fact, he says, now is the hour. Now is the hour. Why does Jesus say the hour is now when the worshipers will worship in spirit and truth? If you go back and you read the book of John, every time Jesus refers to the hour, the hour, what is he talking about? He's talking about the moment he is crucified on the cross. The hour is about Jesus and his glorification on the cross and what he did on the cross. What's Jesus saying when he says the hour is coming when those who will worship in spirit and in truth? He's saying that true worship happens in me and what I did for you on the cross. That's where true worship comes together, where the spirit will be given out, where people can connect with God. It all happens through him. Jesus is the only way. 
And, and Jesus says, God is seeking worshipers. And that sounds like, I don't know, kind of None of us want to be around people who want to be worshipped, right? Don't you get annoyed with people that you just got to affirm them all the time and tell them how great they are and they're affirmation-seeking? And it's like, wait, is God, is God that insecure that he's seeking, he's seeking people to tell him all the time how great he is? That's not it at all. That's not it at all. God doesn't need your worship as if it powers him somehow and he lives off. No, no, no. It's not that God needs your worship. It's that you need to worship God because what you worship is really what is satisfying you in your life. What you worship is what you're becoming like and what you worship is going to end up where you're pointing your soul towards. It's where you're going to get uh, your source of life and your strength from. And so if you're worshiping other things, the other things that are less than God, they're going to end up leaving you unsatisfied. And that's what Jesus is telling this woman, right? Because Jesus is having this conversation. He's talking about physical water, living water, worship, rather. And, and, and then he talks about this woman's checkered past. And it just kind of seems like Jesus is all over the place. And he's not talking about the same thing. But actually, what Jesus is talking about is all the same thing. Jesus is trying to show this woman that he's got something that will satisfy her. He's got something that will satiate the quench and the longing in her soul. Here's the truth. We all have a longing in our soul. We all have uh, a void and we're all trying to fill it with something. For this woman, what she was trying to fill her life with was relationships with men. Okay, she's had many husbands and the one she's with now is not even her husband. And Jesus is exposing something in her life. He's saying, look, let me show you where you worship. You actually worship these relationships you have. But I want to tell you, if you keep drinking from that well, it's only ever going to leave you dry. He says, no amount of relationships, no man can ever do the job. It might work for a little while, but in the end, it won't be able to satisfy that longing in you. We're all looking for something for meaning. Some people look to their families to give a meaning. Other people look for jobs. Other people look for achievements and success. Some people look, it can be as trivial as constantly scrolling on your phone or binge watching Netflix. None of these things are bad. It's just they're all going to fall short in satisfying your soul. You're going to have to keep, keep doing those things, but it will never be able to satisfy and Jesus is looking at this woman and she says to him, I am he. I am the one. If you will worship me by the spirit I'm going to place in you, you will be satisfied. You will taste and see that the Lord is good. What does it mean to worship? The word worship comes from an old English word uh, and it was two words put together. Worthship. Worthship is where worship comes from. This is what worship is. Worth-ship. What is, what is something worth to you? We all assign value to things, and then we treat those things according to the values we've assigned to them. And one of, a show that I love to watch is Antique Roadshow, right? I love to watch and discover like somebody that had something in their basement for so years, and then they realize that thing is more valuable than they ever could expect it. Um, I ran across this story and I thought it was so cool. In 2007, in New York State, uh, uh, a person, they bought a bowl for $3 at a yard sale. 
And it sat, it was a cool bowl, cool looking, sat in their living room for a few years collecting dust. And then they just got kind of curious about it and they started investigating this bowl that they bought for three years. And they found out that it was a rare 1,000 year old Chinese bowl from like a, a dynasty. It's only five inches in diameter, but they found out that it was worth about two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. Then it went to auction, and you know what it sold for? Two point two million dollars. Okay, when the family—how do you think the family treated this bowl once they found out its true worth? Right? How do you think they treated it before? Beforehand, I don't know. They might have put peppermints after dinner mints in it. Their kids were probably playing ball in the house and running around acting crazy around this bowl. Maybe they'd put their feet up on this bowl next to, uh, on the coffee table. And, uh, but once they found out this worth, what do you think they did? Oh, I bet they probably put gloves on when they wanted to touch it. They probably put it in a safe place. They protected it. They cherished it. They probably just would stop every now and again and just stare at it in awe and wonder. I mean, this thing's worth a mil $2 million. <laughs> They're in awe and wonder. Look, worship is when you assign value to something. And when you assign value to something, then you start treating it like the value that it's been assigned. When it says God is seeking worshipers, what does that mean? God is seeking those who will assign the proper value of what he's worth. And they will then, therefore, as they worship, as they assign that value, it will end up transforming the way they live their life. Do we treat God like a $3 bowl in a yard sale? Set him to a side, forget about him, let him collect dust, or flip it with him? Or do we ever take time to just be filled with the awe and wonder of who he is? To let his infinite value and worth fill our minds. Because if we let the infinite value of God's worth penetrate our hearts, then it will transform the way we live. We'll take him seriously. We'll want to live our lives in such a way that we don't want to do anything to harm the valuable relationship we have with our infinite creator. We'll protect it. We'll cherish it. We'll be astonished and amazed at the gift of God that he's placed on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit. We will wonder at the person of Jesus and the price that he paid on Calvary. Calvary. We will worship him for who he is, and that will transform us. This is what it means to worship in spirit and truth. What are we talking about? We're talking about adoring and seeing the value and worth of God and how do we get a revelation of God? How do we see his value? Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So to worship in spirit and truth, it means we're focused on and empowered. It's spirit and truth worship is worship that is focused on and empowered by Jesus. And you know what? Jesus is the spirit giver. That's the spirit part. He gives us the way to connect with God. And Jesus is the truth. He's the reality of God. Truth is what is real. And Jesus is truth. When you put it all together, Rudolf Schnackenberg, he says it like this. He says, in true worship, there is an encounter with God for which God must make man capable by his grace. 
If a man is to adore God in spirit and truth, he must first be filled and penetrated by the spirit of God. And true adoration demands the doing of truth. So God gives us the ability to encounter him through the spirit. And when the spirit penetrates our soul with the love of God, the life of God, the light of God, then we assign that true value and what he's worth. That in turn transforms us from who we are to being in Christ's image from the inside out. This is what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. This is the gift that Jesus is offering this lady at the well, this living water, this gushing forth spirit that will bring revelation after revelation after revelation of who Jesus is. And then when you see who Jesus is and, you, and you're in awe and wonder of who he is, then it transforms you from the inside out. And it's this ever-going process. As I end today, I want to share a testimony with you, a real testimony about an unsuspecting young man and how Jesus came to him and gave him this precious gift. I recently heard a testimony of this young man. His name is Stephen Bancars. Bancars was really big in the New Age spiritual movement. And uh, this is an ever-growing movement in our culture. Uh, even today, if you walk in Barnes & Noble, really the first thing you're going to see is a big section of tarot cards, zodiac signs, crystals, witchcraft. It's all very, very popular. Uh, and, you know, TikTok, there's a hashtag on TikTok known as hashtag witch talk. Over 40 billion views on witch talk. Kids are experimenting with these things. And, and why? Because it's a longing in the heart to connect with a transcendent being, a transcendent God. And uh, Bancars became really big in the New Age movement. Uh, he was a big proponent of it. He had a website. He had a blog. This was kind of early on when you could start monetizing these things. And he started monetizing it as a 19, 20-year-old kid. He was making as much sometimes as $60,000 a month off of what he was writing about New Age stuff and how to encounter the divine and the, the, uh, the other consciousness of the cosmos, all this stuff, New Age stuff. And uh, Bancar's, uh, it's interesting, in his, in his uh, testimony, he talks about Jesus. Like the New Age movement talks about Jesus. He even talks about the Holy Spirit. He even talks about God the Father, but it talks about it in such a way that it's just enough for you to know who they're talking about, but it's not really the God of the Bible or the, or the Jesus of the Gospels. It's just enough to deceive people, really. If you have any type of Christian background, you think, oh, well, this is, this is kosher. They're talking about Jesus. And, but he says, you know, it's really not the real thing. Um, but Bancar's... Uh, you know, he encountered other spiritual forces. I mean, he talks about how he had actually encountered spiritual forces and entities. He talks about having out-of-body experiences. I mean, stuff of this nature. He's making a lot of money. He's becoming very popular. He's, you know, encountering spiritual things. But he says, yet in his soul, in his soul, he was thirsty. In his soul, he had become, he says, totally depraved. He says that his conscience was seared. He became a pathological liar. He said he was doing things that was so shameful and he wouldn't even feel anything. 
and he actually got scared within himself how depraved he would become. He said if just normal people would never even think to do the things he was doing, but he was doing them and didn't think twice about them. What was happening? He was spiritual. He was worshiping or connecting with spirits. He was worshiping, if you will, in a spirit, not the spirit. He's encountering spirits. But here's what he's not encountering, the Holy Spirit. And here's what also he's not encountering. He's not encountering the truth. It's not worshiping in spirit and in truth in Jesus. And he finds himself living as a liar, not in the truth, and doing things he thought he would never do. He felt completely bankrupt in his soul and darkened. And I don't want to share his whole testimony because it would take too long, but he just comes to this realization that he needs Jesus. He comes in this realization that he needs to actually not just talk about Jesus as the most enlightened one there's ever been, but he actually needs to read the Gospels. <laughs> so he starts reading the Gospels. And one night he finally comes to the end of himself. And he goes out into his backyard and he falls on the ground and he just starts repenting of all the terrible things he had done. And he starts crying out to God and he starts saying, God, please save me. Please save me, Jesus. And he's repenting and he's saying, I need you. And as he's crying out to God, he said right there in his backyard, Jesus shows up. <laughs> he shows up and just like he did for the woman at the well. And he says, you know what he did? He filled me with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, who's very familiar now with spirits and encountering spirits, he encounters a spirit that he had never encountered before, and it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, I could literally feel the presence of God enter my body. And he says, you want to know what? It was not an impersonal cosmic life energy, but it was a personal, self-authentic, sentient being. He was so personal, and I just knew that I knew it was the Spirit of Christ. It was the Spirit of Jesus. And he said, all I could do over and over again was cry out, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And in that moment, he said, I was made aware. It's like I could hear the leaves wrestling. I could hear the crickets. I could hear the birds singing. And he said, it was just the Holy Spirit made me aware that all of these things, the leaves, the crickets, the birds, all of creation recognized who was there, that Jesus was there, the Almighty was there, and they were all chirping and buzzling and wrestling and declaring themselves that Jesus is Lord. And he says, I was a new age believer. I used to deify creation. I used to think pantheistically that the leaves are God and the trees are God and we're all God. And he said, but now in this moment, I realize that all creation actually recognizes Jesus as Lord. And all creation is crying out to him as Lord. And I, in that moment, had to worship. I had to prostrate myself and cry out, Jesus is Lord. What happened in this moment? What happened is Stephen cried out. He met Jesus. Unexpected Jesus. He meets him. What does Jesus do? Puts the Spirit of God in him. And when the Spirit of God enters him, what does he do? He starts worshiping Jesus and saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And his life is transformed. What happened? That is worshiping in spirit and truth. Recognizing the value of who Jesus is. Knowing his worth. And it transforms you from the inside out. And it all happens because Jesus put his spirit inside of him. This is what Jesus does for us. 
This is the good news. He's the well of living water on the inside of us. And we're called to worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray for your people today. Lord, I pray. Maybe there's some of us, Lord, that we are saved. But Lord, it's been a while since we've let that well bubble up inside of us. It's been a while since we've communicated with our Father. Lord, you've given us that spiritual SIM card. You've given us that ability to do that. But We need to come back to you today and worship you. Lord, I pray that that living water would just start gushing up inside of us today. That we would set our eyes again on you, Jesus. That we would be focused and empowered and worshiping you. And it would transform us from the inside out. You're seeking those who will worship you today in spirit and in truth. Let us be those people. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today. Make it a goal this week to set aside time. Get in the word of God. And just think about Jesus. Get in there and get a revelation. Sit with it. Meditate on it until whoo, it hits you and you realize the worth of God. And it leads you to a place of transformative worship in His presence. We love you. We'll see you very soon.